Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pitcast, brought to you by the Pit Crew Online, from the fans for the fans. I'm your host, Deputy Editor James, and today's episode is our 2020 season finale extravaganza bonanza. That was the official title we were going for, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Grand. So joining me today is our, as you just heard, our Pitcast and esports contributor, Luca. Yeah, esports. Uh, we sh- we are recording this on the Wednesday, and F1 esports is starting in about one and a quarter hours. So uh, <laughs> we'll let's, have to be quick. No, no, no we won't. <laughs> I don't mind running over. I can, I can catch up on it. Grand. And also with me today, our BTCC editor, Aaron. Hi, guys. Good to be back. Good to have you back too. So we've finally reached the end of the 2020 season, and it seems weird. I don't know whether we should be saying finally because we've only been going since July, but. Gosh, it feels like a long old slog, doesn't it? It's been a season many of us thought would never come, but somehow we've managed to get 17 races into 23 weeks. We visited three new circuits and brought back three old favourites, seeing two first-time race winners and 13 different podium finishes. And at the end of it, we've crowned a seven-time world champion. So let's start today off with a bit of a quick fire. Aaron, I'll throw it to you first. What has been your standout moment from the 2020 season? I mean, <clears throat> like you said, it's been all condensed into essentially half a year, but <clears throat> I've lost complete track of some moments, um, no pun intended. Um, I think my highlight for me is just seeing the pure unpredictability at some of the tracks, like when at Silverstone, Hamilton's tyre went three laps to go and was all like, oh no, is he, is he going to win? Um, <clears throat> obviously Monza when Gasly took his first win and at Sakia when you know, Lewis is ruled out through uh, a positive COVID test and we all get George Russell about to win a race, you know, before Mercedes screwed it over. But um, yeah, I think just the pure unpredictability of it all. It's been a funny one, hasn't it? I I think I mentioned this in our Sakir um, debrief. This has been a season that everyone said has been, you know, very uncompetitive because Mercedes have been so far ahead. And like you said, it has actually been incredibly unpredictable. We've had these different drivers on the podium, different drivers winning races. It's been a crazy one. What about you, Luca? What's going to stick in your memory for 2020? So speaking of Sakir, oh, I was gutted for Russell. Um, (laughs) I mean, obviously, the circumstances that led to him making his probably early Mercedes debut um, were quite unfortunate. Like No one obviously wants anyone to have had a... COVID diagnosis, and that's what Hamilton had. Um, but in any case, Russell, oh, he he was he had the win taken away from him twice, and I was gutted for him. Um, but we did have Sergio Perez win, and Sergio Perez uh, is it's still up in the air as to it'll, it'll probably have been announced whether or whether not who has that Red Bull seat by the time this episode comes out. Um, but the the fact is is that he he of all people should not be struggling for a seat and. And to see him finally win a race after 190 races, I mean, I was I was um, awake for quite early on the morning of the 25th of March 2012 to watch the Malaysian Grand Prix, and, I, and he very nearly won that race over Alonso, but on just that came up short at the end. Um, so I'm I won't I won't lie when I say that I was really really pleased for him, even if Russell was denied a win there. <clears throat> yeah, and he was also he'd also been like last at that point, hadn't he? He was mm-hmm. um, uh, Perez. He uh, earlier in the race, he was like last and uh, made his way through the field and hung on until the end. It was uh, 
absolutely incredible. But there's been plenty of things this year which has made the season special. Like Hamilton, yeah, I know we all we all get bored by it, but the fact is is that he is he's he won his seventh championship. He's equaled Michael Schumacher in that regard. And the way he did it, as I mentioned on the last podcast we had for the Turkish Grand Prix, he had no business winning that race and he came home over 30 seconds ahead of second place Sergio Perez. Uh, other things that I've really enjoyed this year, um, well, Pierre Gasly winning at Monza, which was just incredible. Um, that tyre blowout for Hamilton uh, on the last lap at Silverstone as well that Aaron mentioned. And I think the the, the thing that really defined this year brilliantly for uh, so, so well for me was the fact that we went to all these new tracks, um, which we never would have had a hope in hell of ever going to. And it was a good chance to really sort of like see the potential of these circuits due to F1 uh, not being able to fly out to like Far East Asia, uh, the Americas, uh, Australia obviously at the start of the season was cancelled. Would the season typically have started in March and ended in like November, December to have it then run from July to December with no race cancellations uh, and no hiccups is quite frankly a miracle. And as a result of that, seeing tracks like Mugello, um, uh, Nürburgring back, which I was really happy about. Uh, Portimao was incredible. Uh, Imola and Istanbul Park and the short Bahrain. I've it, it was it was an, it was amazing because uh, you get used to seeing all these very samey tracks. So to see these new tracks coming in, and while well, some were better than others in terms of racing, but there was it was still a new flavor, and that's what twenty twenty for me, should be remembered for in terms of F1 is that all these new circuits were, were really given a chance to shine and plenty did. I think that's a good point is that, you know, this season was always going to be a unique season in whatever way. But I think F1 has, it's made a great unique season where it was, you know, at one point it looked like we were only going to perhaps have eight races this year and it was looking like we we're just going to squeeze in whatever we could to just uh, to match the criteria of a world championship it's turned out to be an incredible season with so many highlights and like Aaron alluded to you know it's been so compressed it's easy to forget what's what's happened we haven't really had time to digest a lot of um you know a lot of the races that have happened it should have been done one race bang on to the next but I think for me it, there's going to be so many feel-good moments throughout this year like Luke was just saying with Sergio Perez you know that that win he had in Sakir that felt like it's been coming for sort of eight years, really, since he was chasing down Alonso in Malaysia. And the the win for Gasly after what he went through last year with, you know, losing the seat and losing his best friend in Antoine Hubert to come back and become a race winner. There's just, there's been so much. And of course, the, the sort of the big headline of the season is Lewis Hamilton's seventh world championship. It's it's not just been a great season. It's been a historic one in in so many regards. And that's just... Yeah, there there is so much to look back on this season, and I I'm struggling at the moment just to think about what's happened, you know. And there's one person who, throughout all this, has done not done the best best they can um, when it came to editing these episodes. That's Aaron. Uh, if if I were to decide, you know, pick crew member of the year, it will be it will be Aaron. I'd, I'd oh, agree with that. Start crying in a minute, boys. <laughs> I mean, what a year for us to decide to do a podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> like that of, was, of that was on me. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> it won't be the pit crew away if we didn't do it in the most chaotic year, the most compressed year known to man. So speaking of the compressed nature, you know, F1 has faced a logistical nightmare this season, just getting the whole thing off the ground. 
But we remember what it was all back in the spring when the calendar was changing every week. You know, it was F1 was going to start in the Netherlands, then it's going to start in Canada. And then, no, that was off. It was going to start in Azerbaijan. And then we had the the eight race calendar that went from sort of Austria to Monza. Yep. We, got, we got there in the end. And it's taken a bit of creativity with the new circuits coming in, with new circuit layouts in Bahrain, some of the race names like the Styrian Grand Prix, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Luca, you just called it a miracle that we even had an F1 season this year. How do you rate the way that F1 has managed to bring 2020 together? Uh, second to none, I think. I mean, um, and we've only had three um, actual drivers, I think, throughout not only just F1, but F2 and F3 uh, and Porsches. And I didn't hear about any in the Porsche Super Cup or any of the other support championships, but the fact that only three of the F1 drivers, and thankfully they're all in good health, that being the two racing point drivers, Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll, and obviously Lewis Hamilton as well. Uh, it is in- incredible. And um, putting together the calendar, obviously uh, this year it's had to be from round one in Austria to round 15, no, round, no sorry, round 14 in Turkey, um, being in Europe and then the remaining three in the Middle East, which technically means that it, by the definition of world championship, which in the FIA, def- the FIA's definition of it is like, at least eight races at three different continents. And unfortunately, we haven't had to have that this year. Uh, but I imagine there'll be some exceptions made due to the circumstances. Um, so the fact that they've been able to effectively create bubbles and allow for um, these exceptions to be made for the F1 drivers who are and F1 team members and personnel traveling around in order to get the season to, to happen um, is is in fact nothing short of a miracle and there's no other way to go about it. I think that's a very good point about how well F1 has, you know, conducted the stringent kind of testing they've done to make sure that F1 can happen and the the bubbles and everything. I was reading the other day that Ross Braun said they've conducted over 78,000 COVID tests across the season and they've only had 78 positive results, which is phenomenal. And like you said, Luca, there's been three from the drivers. We've heard a few from team members, but it really hasn't been that much the fact they've managed to keep everybody safe and that when they have yeah Ross Braun said they had a, a small cluster breakout at the uh, the Russian Grand Prix it's understood but they got on it so quickly that it wasn't even a problem like it didn't spread throughout the paddock as everyone kind of expected it to and yeah as we've alluded to one of the ways they have managed to bring the season together is bringing in new tracks they brought in Portimao and Mugello for the first time we returned to Imola the Nürburgring Istanbul We've had the Sakir outer loop, the the definitely not an oval. And there's even talk that Portimao might rejoin the calendar next year in the slot that's just been vacated by the Vietnam Grand Prix on the 25th of April. So Aaron, I'm going to pass this to you. What's been your favourite of the new tracks that we visited this year? Um, I think they've all brought something a bit different. Um, you know, it's <clears> nice to see Imola back. I always used to like Imola back in, back in the old days. Uh, one of the best races I've ever watched was Fernando Alonso and Schumacher, I think it was 2005 or 2006. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to see him on the back. I thought Sakir was mental. Um, a 50 sub a sub minute lap in F1. I, I don't think we've ever had one of them. So that was crazy to watch. I'm kind of gutted there was some races missing though. Like I always enjoy Australia. I, I like that race, even though it's quite boring. It's the first one, so you, you get a bit excited to get up at 3 a.m. to watch. <laughs> and then regret the decision immediately but back to um, school feeling yeah and then obviously Monaco's <clears throat> Monaco it's a boring race but the spectacle around it 
so I'm a bit good. We haven't had them, but I think we've had some really handy replacements in Portimao Magello because it showed you that some drivers just you need to be on the ball all the time because in these modern tracks you've got runoffs where you can just go wide, go around the cone and rejoin. But in Magello Portimao, you've got gravel traps, so unless you can keep your engine running, you're going to be out on the spot and you don't get a second chance. So I think it's really um, shown who can do it and who relies on the runoffs a bit. But yeah, I think they've all brought something different, but if I had to pick one, it'd be Sakia just for the pure chaos. Yeah, I was sad to see a few of the circuits not on the calendar this year. I was looking, you know, when you're going through the calendar and you're realising, oh yeah, it would have been Suzuka this weekend. Or, But like you said, it's been amazing seeing tracks like Imla. I remember when I watched... When I watched that weekend, I was just like, this is what a racetrack looks like. This is this is what I imagine in my head when I think of a Formula One racetrack. And yeah, it's been great seeing the drivers, the looks on their faces when they've been going through tracks like Mugello, for example. The look on their face is just like, this is what we do this for. This is the challenge that we love. So the, some other news that's happened this year. There's, it's been a bumper year for people who love Silly Season. You know, we had... Well, we're still waiting for the first race. We had Ferrari announce that Sebastian Vettel was not going to be racing for the team next year. The bombshell, they didn't even offer Vettel a contract and that they were instead signing Carlos Sainz from McLaren. Daniel Ricciardo went over from Renault to replace Sainz at McLaren. Vettel in the end joined Aston Martin, replacing Sergio Perez. Fernando Alonso has come back to F1 after a two-year absence to replace Ricciardo at Renault, soon to become Alpine. Yuki Tsunoda is joining uh, F1 from Formula 2 with Alpha Tauri, replacing Danny Kvyat. Haas has got an all-new lineup in Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, with Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen leaving. Aaron, we'll start with you. Which which of those driver pairings are you most looking forward to seeing next year? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing this you, you don't get video on this, because when you said Alonso, my eyes rolled so much. I just wish he'd, he'd, he'd stay away. I mean, I love Alonso, he's a good driver, but I think he's just had his time now. I think they could get someone like Guan Yu Zhou in that car or, you know, someone else from the Renault Academy, Lungard, whoever. But in terms of pairings, I think Vettel and Stroll will be interesting because Seb's not had the best year, bless him. I don't know if that's all Ferrari or what, but I'd be interested to see how he does against someone like Stroll, who he is quick. I think he's a good driver. Um, His poll at Turkey showed that. Um, and obviously, everyone's excited for Ricardo and Lando to be in. Yes, um, you know that's that that'll that'll be chaos um, defined perfectly. Um, them two in the same team, but you know McLaren are, are on the up again, and I'm keen to see Ricardo in a car capable of podiums, which I think McLaren will be next year. And obviously, see how science does at Ferrari, because I don't know if. Ferrari are going to be any good next year because they've not had the best year themselves and it might be a step backwards for Carlos um, to go forwards in the future maybe um, but yeah I think there's, all the pairings offer something different apart from maybe Mercedes which is more of the same that's something we should say is that Mercedes still haven't signed a contract with Lewis Hamilton for next year so he could do a Nico Rosberg I, mean, I doubt that he won't but <laughs> technically he could I think, yeah, the point you made about Alonso is quite interesting is that that's proved quite a divisive return this year. I think there have been so many people who have been uh, so happy that he's coming back that have really missed Alonso and really are looking forward to seeing him come back. And then there's also been so many that are thinking he, yeah, that he has had his time. 
I mean, the rod that brought the camels back for me is that he's participating in the young driver's test. Which, <laughs> I mean, unless he's got a time machine in that, that Renault, I don't know. But it just felt like a big narcissism trip for me, personally. I think it's a case of putting him against the, you know, rookies, youngsters, whatever. And it was, I mean, he was fastest, no coincidence at all. Um, two-time world champion beats rookies. Shock. Um I don't know, I'm just disappointed. Yeah, and it is a bit of a shame. And I think, like you said, Renault have got a lot of young drivers coming through, like Christian Lungard, Guan Yu Zhou, Oscar Piastri stepping up to mm. F2 next year. With Ocon as well, do you think that he's perhaps, um, he's going into his last year of his Renault contract next year. And we've seen in the past, you know, Renault has not, I don't think it's kept the same driver lineup for any subsequent season that it's had since it's come back to F1 in 2016. And they've they've got a bit of a trend of bringing in someone that they're very, very excited about and then getting rid of them when someone that they're more excited about comes along. Like They did it with Carlos Sainz. They were so excited about him coming in and then Daniel Ricciardo was available. Nico Hülkenberg was their big thing. They wanted a long-term manufacturer relationship with him and then suddenly Ocon was available. Now Renault are sniffing around Pierre Gasly, it's been said. Luca, do you think that Ocon even though next year hasn't even started, do you think Ocon's under pressure to keep his seat already? Or do you think, because he's improved a lot at the end of this year, do you think he'll be able to carry that momentum in and that he's got a bit of a cushion now that he's got like his first podium at Sakir, for example? Um, I think I, I knew that he was hard done by when he lost the Force India drive um, to Stroll. And obviously now that's happened to Perez as well. Uh, he's lost his racing point drive. But in on Ocon's case, I don't... I do think that, well, we've we've seen uh, already Fernando Alonso. He uh, last time he was in F one, he destroyed his teammates' career. That was Stoffel van Dorn. So, yeah, I I don't don't envy Orcon at all. I think he is. Um, I I do think that they want a French driver. Um, Renault is obviously backed by the French government, and so having a French driver in the team is already going to. Um, help him in some way but then Gasly is also French mm. so if they are going to have Gasly as a potential option then Orcon's really going to have to deliver but uh, I don't know I, I there's always going to be losers when it comes to a silly season Orcon himself as I just said he lost his team so as Perez Hulkenberg was out of F1 so if, if Orcon's next yeah, I he doesn't he hasn't been given like in the case of Hulkenberg and Perez, you could argue they've had many seasons to like even though I don't think they should have been dropped at all. Um, they've still had their time. This is only Orcon's third year, like third full season in Formula One. He had a bit of races in the latter half of 2016 with Manor. He did two full seasons with Force India, sat up 2019, and we're already talking about him after 2020, after his third full season potentially being out on his ear by the end of next year. Yeah, Luca, if we stick just with the driver market moves for the moment, are there any um, any pairings that you're most looking forward to? No, it's a Ricardo. <laughs> oh, I, I tell you that. what. No, honestly, honestly, like when, when it was being sort of like thrown about as to who was going to replace Vettel, it was either going to be apparently Science or Ricardo, and I thought they were going to go with Ricardo because I mean he he, he is part Italian. Like it's, I think his dad is Italian. Um, I might be wrong about that. Um, then it was science announced, and 
then I heard Ricardo is going to McLaren, mm-hmm. and I could have died a happy man in that moment. I mean, I would actually wouldn't have, I shouldn't have died in that moment because then I would never have got to experience it. You get what I mean? Um, but yeah, like obviously we could all just sort of talk about the idea of you know him and Norris are just going to be so funny. Like if Norris and science is anything to go by, Norris and Ricardo is going to be just knock it out of the park every time. Like McLaren's marketing, uh, like you know. They've got a field, plenty of field days in the next few few years. Um, but aside from that, I genuinely think that I, I once put out a question. I can't. I think it was for the Turkish debrief. Who are the only drivers on the grid right now who could actually beat Lewis Hamilton? And I couldn't really think of them at the time, but I think I've since come up with them. And I think, and feel free to roll your eyes if you disagree, if you disagree, or if you think that other people should be involved. But I think Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc. And Daniel Ricciardo at the moment, in terms of how they've been refined and how naturally good they are, I think they they could probably hold it to um to, to Hamilton if they were teammates. Obviously, they're not teammates with him. Um, but the I think the fact that McLaren being on the up and the way that the, they finished third, obviously in the constructors' championship, and they're going to have Mercedes engines next year. The, um, but I genuinely think signing Ricciardo is probably one of the best moves for McLaren. They um. Because Norris has already had two years with them. Uh, He's really developed and putting a proven Grand Prix winner who I think could fight for a world championship and not saying that they will fight for the championship, but having Ricardo win is like like the team leader. McLaren being on the up now means that I genuinely think McLaren could, and I'm going to, this is going to come back to haunt me, but I think McLaren could actually not be in championship contention, but being contention for like, consistent podiums the race win and then come 2022 they will definitely be in the hunt um as for other moves um i'm happy about uh, yuki sonoda who finished third in f2 i think he really surprised me this year being like he was thrown in at the deep end and somehow still managed to finish third in the championship one point off second um i'm obviously happy that mick schumacher's made it to f1 and still even though he's, he's f2 champion people are still going to say Oh, he's only there because of the surname and he won't be able to win in any regard. Um, not happy about his teammate. Um Alonso Renault uh, or Alpine, I I don't I don't get why. Um obviously I think having I Orcon and alongside that a Renault Academy driver, it probably wouldn't have excited the Renault board of directors um the way the way Alonso has. Uh, so I think they needed a big name in there to sort of guarantee the the funds um uh, ultimately i i'm i I quite like the um the driver lineup next year um there's still obviously some that i would have changed but only there's only 20 seats so but yeah mainly ricardo and norris that's who i'm most excited for it's interesting you say that your mclaren prediction is going to come back to haunt you because Earlier today, I was listening back to our season preview episode because I remember at the end... Oh, um, no, what did I say? (laughs) You weren't in it. It was myself, Simon, Aaron and Rob. And at the end, we made some bold predictions for the year ahead. (laughs) And we got almost none of them right. (laughs) Like, I think Rob said that um, Haas would be on the podium and that Vettel, that Ferrari would be better than pre-season testing showed and Vettel would win the championship. Remind me not to ask Rob for lottery numbers. (laughs) I think I said that Albon would be leading the championship after once we left the Red Bull ring. I thought he'd win at least one of those races. I mean, I was, I was nearly, almost right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nearly. 
But ironically, the one prediction that any of us got right was you, Aaron. You said that McLaren would challenge consistently for podiums and maybe even contend for a lucky race win. And of course, we had Sainz and Norris both on the podium this year. Sainz challenging Gasly for the win in Monza. I mean, it wasn't consistent podiums, but... I'll, podiums. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aaron, you were right there. Well, um, don't ask for any other predictions, because I think that was a lucky one at the best. <laughs> um, yeah, so on the subject of driver moves, we do need to talk about Nikita Mazepin. It's, he's someone we've spoken about recently in episodes. Um, he's signed to drive for Haas next year. And he's not been a popular choice, I think it's fair to say. He's... You know, Luca, you've been pretty vocal about him on the podcast. You've been following him through his junior career. He's he's had quite an extensive rap sheet. Um, you know, in Formula 3, he had his uh, instant where he punched Islet in the pit lane um, and got a ban for it. He's had his dangerous driving throughout his year and throughout F2 this year. And then this video emerged, and I don't think we need to go into the details because I'm assuming everybody has already seen what's happened, whether you've seen the video or not. But the the inappropriate behaviour that was on his Instagram um, over the weekend before Abu Dhabi, it's it's cast a bit of a dark cloud over the end of the season. This hasn't it? In that, you know, it, it's not behaviour that you want to see from an F one driver for starters, but from anyone in this kind of this public position. And people are rightly angry about it, I think. And that has have come out with a statement that's quite strongly worded, calling the behaviour abhorrent and saying that they were going to deal with it internally. Luca, we'll start with you because I know that you want to say quite a bit on this. What are your thoughts on the incident and what do you think should happen? I mean, I think I know what they're going to be already, but... Um, it's it's troubling because you want to, with public figures in particular, ones that are very much, that they happen, what they're doing is happening in the now. You know, it's not something that's happened and then this sort of thing comes up. Um, but... The, the the troubling part about it is the fact that Gunter Steiner is doesn't really have a lot of power because as as we as is very well publicized, Nikita Mazepin is the son of a seven point one billion dollar Russian oligarch. Allowing for Dmitry Mazepin and Nikita Mazepin into F one is deeply concerning because it's showing that that this sort of behaviour is tolerable and the and the way that feeds into Mazepin's behaviour over the years, he has been enabled, he has been let off, he's never had to face major consequences for his actions. Like I, We all make fun of Lance Stroll, and we all make fun of Latifi, probably to a lesser extent. But in those cases, at least they're nice people. But Mazepin is a deeply toxic figure, just from the things that we've seen, the things that have been alleged... Uh, it's 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 deeply concerning because Mazepin will not face consequences for this, and I'm 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 just really disappointed that he's been allowed to get to F1 because you know he's got the money. That's the that's the thing with me is that that he likely isn't going to face any consequences from this. Haas said they'll deal with it internally, but. You know, trying to play devil's advocate a bit here for Haas because I know people have been very critical of them just taking the money, but it is it is money that the team needs to survive, and it's you know the team has a responsibility to its two hundred odd staff that if they don't take the money from Mazepin sponsorship, then the team could fold, and all of those people could lose their jobs, be made redundant. But yeah, they say they're going to take action, but dealing with it internally likely is just going to be 
okay, make sure you don't do it again, but we're not going to fire you. And the FIA put out their statement a little bit after Haas as well, and they effectively just said, we're not going to do anything ourselves about it. We just support Haas in whatever decision they made, which I felt was profoundly disappointing because the FIA also obviously has a responsibility towards Haas and its employees. And it doesn't want to, if it revokes Mazepin's super license, it doesn't want to force all of these redundancies that could have been avoided, for example, and it doesn't want to doom a team to dropping off the grid. But the FIA also has responsibilities towards you know, being the governing body of F1 and motorsport, it has a responsibility and a duty of care towards everybody who works and competes in its events. You know, if you look at Mazepin's alleged behaviour towards women, that includes all of the women who work in the paddock, um, who work in the teams, who work as media personnel, hospitality staff, the W Series grid that's joining um, the support bill for next year. It involves anyone at that who could potentially be threatened by this. Um, and looking at the drivers who share the track with Mazepin you know we've seen with his incident with Callum Eilert and the the Sakir race where he was under pressure for the lead and he drove three drivers towards the pit wall Sonoda, Daruvla and Drogovic which you know once you can give them the benefit of the doubt that it's a kind of red mist moment in a race but three times becomes premeditated behavior so the FIA has yes it has a responsibility towards Haas but it has responsibilities towards all of these other people who are put at risk by Mazepin coming into the paddock and so you know throwing the the big tricky question to you Aaron throwing you under the bus here if the FIA and if Haas aren't able to uh to simply just pull Mazepin off the grid and bar him from entering F1 what else can they do to ensure that you know people at the track are kept safe and that I don't know essentially that he faces some kind of consequence from this and that he learns from it that, that is that is the question um it's an odd situation because we don't want Mazepin or his, you know, we don't want that behaviour in F1 because, you know, one, it sort of puts a dark mark on the sport if they're allowing these, you know, kind of people in with no real punishment. And obviously, from Haas's perspective, like you say, you don't want to see him go under because they ain't got the money. So you can kind of see it from both sides, but it's which side should prevail. Like we said, it's really cast a sort of shadow over the the postseason, really, because we're all track, we're all waiting for the the result of the investigation or whatever Haas are doing in, internally. Um, and like you say, he probably will be unpunished. But like you say, Formula One, there's there's role models there. People look up to these drivers as either you know they want to follow what they do, or they're just they're just enjoying, they're just fans, and then. You've got someone behaving allegedly like Mazepin has. What does that say about Formula One that we're letting these kind of people in? If he gets away scot free, it just sets an awful precedent. And it worries me, to be honest, because obviously you don't want people to get hurt and you want people to be safe. I think something will have to be put in place. Like he'll have to be on like super strict probation for a bit. You know, is he on constant watch from someone within the team or whoever? Off someone from the FIA, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a solution to an answer. I don't think anyone has, but mm-hmm. it's just a difficult situation. It's put a shadow of a, of a Formula One for me at the minute. I mean, one thing that might hopefully happen is that um, he's racked up 11 points on his super license during F2 this year, which normally would just be cancelled out when you move to another series. But what I've heard over the Abu Dhabi weekend, there's a lot of interest, a lot of drive, even from like World Motorsport Council level, 
to change that rule for next year so that you do carry your super license points over a 12 month period whether you're moving to a new series or not so i'm hoping that that does come through and then like you said he will be effectively on a probation period from the first race of the season um and i mean the super license points you don't accrue them just for stuff that you do on track i think you can even get them for like missing an fia press conference so it's you know his off track behavior will become as important as as his on track behavior which hopefully will be good and i hope that the fia as well will do even if they can't revoke his super license for it that they that they do something educational because i think the learning from it is so important and you know max verstappen with that time that i can't remember what year it was even but he had to go and serve like community service with stewards at a formula e weekend and he came back from that saying i've learned so much about what these people do and how they make their decisions and i've learned so much respect for the decisions they do make um so i think he'd been very very critical about stewards in the past when they decided against him so i'm hoping that they do something i'm hoping that it's not just a case of well has have told him off so that's fine I mean, we've seen super licenses revoked for a lot less. I remember Eugene Eden. He was just a bit slow and he couldn't really drive the car and he got his license took off him. Yeah, I'm hoping that he's put on a very, very strict watch at the very least for next year. Um, Yeah, and the FAA does hold him to account within their rules as they should do. Shall we end the episode on a slightly more positive note? Look back on some of the the more positive moments of the season. Um, We'll start with Aaron. I want your driver of the year, your team of the year, and your race of the year. Oh, God. Um, so, <laughs> start with driver. Um, I mean, obviously, the easy options Lewis Hamilton for breaking records and matching the championships, but that's that's a cop-out. That's the easy answer, I think. <laughs> for me, it's probably a toss-up between Lando Norris because it's his second season and he's... I mean, he got a podium straight off the bat, first race, I think it was. And... He's just really matured this year, I think. And he's, like Luke said earlier, he's, he's proven himself now. And next year will be a big test for him. But I think he's just done really well, really consistent. Um, didn't spit his dummy out of or anything. He just got on with it and it was quality. And Pierre Gasly, I mean, we saw what he went through in 2019 with Red Bull dropping him. And then this year he's completely been like a phoenix, really. He's come from his own ashes and took a win at Monza, albeit fortuitously if you want to call it that he's he, he held off Carlos Sainz and won the race which is fair enough um, and he's kind of like Norris in a sense he has matured and he's done really well for himself um, what would he have a category I've forgotten now uh, team of the year race of the year maybe I shouldn't have given them to you all in one go <laughs> I'll, I'll get them out of the way it's fine um, McLaren for me team of the year because again Mercedes is a bit easy answer because they've just dominated and been incredible but McLaren have come from the Honda days back to where I, I think they belong. Um, they've been ultra consistent and, you know, finishing third in the constructors when you've got Renault and Racing Point just as competitive is, you know, no mean feat for them. Uh, so McLaren for my team of the year and then race of the year. I don't know. I mean, I said Sakir earlier because it was just madness and I was actually really gutted when George lost his lost the chance for the win. For ages, I couldn't be happy for Perez because I was that gutted that mm. Russell had lost it. But, you know, on reflection, I'm, I'm glad Perez got one. So I think Sakir for me, none of us are jumping out at me. Monza's, Monza was good because it was just unpredictable. Turkey was chaos because no one could stay on the track. They were all spinning off. But yeah, I think I'd have to say Sakir just for, I was that roped into it and that just that desperate for Russell to get, I was happy he got points, but I was just that desperate for the win for him. Luca? 
Driver of the Year, Lando Norris, uh, not just because of how he performed this year, but also how much of a leading figure he became in only his second year when the pandemic provided a, an amazing opportunity for the whole world of motorsport to showcase the sim racing aspect. And obviously, we didn't touch upon that earlier, but Lando Norris, for me, became like the F1's leading hope in a way. And he's definitely, he'd been like streaming on Twitch, showing off his sim racing. Uh, long before anyone else did, and not to sound, not to make him sound like a hipster, um, but it really sort of allowed during that really low period of not having any racing to see these people who are very typically being quite closed off to show off a, a more light-hearted uh, side to themselves and show a, a world in which you can play on a level playing field the, with these drivers. Like we saw Norris, Charles Leclerc. George Russell, Alex Albon, all competing in like in the virtual Grand Prix events. That was definitely a great, a, just a great time. And I hope we see more virtual racing and more fan engagement in the future. But going on to the real racing side, and whilst Norris did impress me there as well, I think Adam Wheeler Deals is going to be quite happy to to hear this. But I think Carlos Sainz, um, because he, and it's not a coincidence that they're both McLaren drivers. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but Carlos Sainz for me. Um, I saw a tweet from Adam making a point about how whenever Sainz does really well, he's always outshone, whether that be Perez in Sakir, along with Ocon and Stroll, all be on the podium. But Sainz was probably in the best position to take advantage of the Mercs screw-up if it had played out a bit better. Um, chasing down Gasly and just coming up short. Going into 2019, Sainz, for me, was someone I didn't really have a strong opinion about i just thought he's he's a good driver but being in that mclaren environment seeing him become one of the more reliable drivers in the um in the midfield now he's going to ferrari and i hope ferrari are good next year because you know i don't want science and leclerc to sort of whittle into irrelevancy but i think science has become a a driver who i think is quite quite deserving of his place in f1 and quite deserving of his place in a in a strong team um, other drivers I could mention, obviously Pierre Gasly, uh, for all the reasons Aaron, Aaron mentioned, Danny Ricciardo um, for his two podiums. Um, Sergio Perez, I think, is a, is a strong contender as well. I think the fact that he missed two races and still finished fourth in the championship is absolutely incredible. Um, so those are sort of all my uh, mentions for driver of the year. Um, I do want to give a, a noteworthy mention to Roman Grosjean, who... We haven't had really chance to address it, but obviously his horror crash happened and we all held our breath and very concerned for him. Thankfully, he was out and he was alive. Um, testament to the safety and the procedures that all the teams go through, um, which you hope never actually has to happen, but the fact that it can happen and everyone's on the scene as quick as they are, um, it is remarkable. And I'm so thankful that Grosjean made out of there. And he's alive and well. So team of the year. Yeah, you know what? Again, McLaren, because of the, the strides they've made. I would actually say racing point as well. But yeah, Mc, McLaren for me, as I've been mentioning earlier, I've been on the up and I'm, re- I'm just really, the team just feels wholesome. Like I, I, I'm, I, it's a really good time to be a McLaren fan at the moment. And, and uh, it's it's just so nice to see to see them improving the way they are and the environment they've got within their team. So as for race of the year, uh, this is um, 
a bit tricky. Like you, the easy answers would be something like Sakir and Monza, wouldn't it? Um, but I'm just specifically going to pick a race. I don't think many other people really would have gone for. It's Algarve. I think if any, if I was to be asked which of the 2020 specific circuits, um, the ones that are, that might not be carried over to next year, but if the, any of them were to become a mainstay on the calendar, which one would you pick? I'd say Algarve, because not only is it an incredible track, it actually delivered a really good race. And Portimao, for me, made a huge impact because it's not. it definitely was one that not a lot of people had a lot of familiarity with. Like A lot of motorsport fans were aware of Mugello because of MotoGP, and obviously every other track we had been to before, with the exception of Sakia. But Portimao was like the newest one, and I do think that it, it deserves its place on the F1 calendar. All right, how yeah. about you, James? I I'll agree with you on race of the year. I think Portimao was... I I think I was one of the people that you're describing there. I didn't really know a lot about the circuit and I wasn't that thrilled by it coming on the same way I was with, you know, Imola and Istanbul, for example. But yeah, the, the race there was just fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Driver of the year... I know Aaron said this was the easy option, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with Lewis Hamilton. And it's it's funny, this is probably the podcast we've spoken about him the least this year. Um, it just even... so happens that the episodes we had, we stopped on was just after he won the seventh title. Like, if people were going to accuse <laughs> us of being Hamilton-biased fans, then that would be it. Yeah, I it... didn't do that on purpose. So. No, we did Well, I'm not... <laughs> sorry, that didn't that didn't come out right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny that, like... I don't know, it's been weird this year talking about his accomplishments because there's a part of me, it's like... I don't want to talk too much about them now because we're going to be saying the same things next year when he wins his eighth world title, probably. Um, but yeah, I think the way he's driven this year, he's just been unstoppable. He's, you know, he's swatted off challenges from from Bottas right from the start, from Verstappen right from the start. He's just, he's put his name on this championship right from the very beginning of the season and just said, it's mine, hands off. And I think alongside that, his advocacy off the track but yeah, I just think Hamilton has been such a, an asset to the sport this year in the same way, like you said, Norris has. I think, yeah, Hamilton's just been the driver that F1 needed, I think, off the track, as well as being such a supreme driver on the track. Um, and then team of the year, gosh, I mean, yeah, Mercedes is an obvious contender. They've just been, apart from Sakir and their their occasional blunders, like the, the Monza pit lane incident, um, They've been more or less unstoppable, but yeah, I'd give it to McLaren as well. I think the way they've just, they've had, I think, the most solid driver lineup of all the grid this year. Um, and apart from a few pit stop errors that they've had, yeah, they've, they've just been phenomenal considering they've not had the quickest car out of them, Racing Point and Renault. I don't think the fact that they've managed to still finish ahead of all three of them in the championship is just just brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'd go with Hamilton, McLaren and Portimao. We bring the back the um, podium robots. <laughs> <laughs> that I was, was like, then I was like, oh, the podium robots. Was that Styria the they had them? The kind of the weird, oh like, yes, little Star Wars droid. <laughs> yeah, like little knockoff R two D two. Oh man, they look like little bomb disposal robots. They just put a dustbin over the top of. <laughs> I, think, I I don't know why they didn't carry on with them because supposedly they wanted to like when they did that at the two Red Bull ring races where they actually had the podium on the track. I thought that was amazing and I kind mm. of hope that oh barring any sort of like track invasions, you know, they can still <laughs> do that when the crowds return because uh, I do think that's amazing. But then 
the reason why they had the robots was so they didn't have to like have a sort of like you know uh people there who might be outside certain bubbles handing over the mm. trophies you know like the austrian minister to motorsport i don't know um <laughs> but then they scrapped that and i was just like so what was the point in making them you know <laughs> having like k9 from doctor who like just wheel it over <laughs> they were a bit odd i was kind of happy they didn't come back <laughs> Oh, I kind of wanted them back. <laughs> Maybe they'll bring them back for next year. <laughs> okay, so speaking of next year, thank you all for listening to our review of the 2020 season. Uh, this has been, we've had a great year, I think, doing these podcasts. We've really enjoyed it and we we genuinely do thank you all for listening. Um, and as it's the end of the year, we of course want to extend a massive thank you from the Picker Online to everyone who has made the Formula One season happen this year. All of the all of the trackside personnel, the marshals, the medical staff, the the hospitality crews, the media, the organisers. I can't even think of how many roles there are behind the scenes um, who have made this season happen. It's been a phenomenal undertaking and we, we genuinely do thank you all. So be sure to leave this episode a like and share it with your friends and follow the Pit Crew online on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We'll be back with more Pitcasts in January. I've been Deputy Editor James. You can follow me on Twitter at James16Matthews. Aaron, where can they find you? Um, obviously on Twitter uh, at AaronAirwin7. And Luca? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RedLuca56, but don't follow me in real life because then you'll be a stalker. And Luca's PO box is... No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you out on track.